Our study of the story uh, of the Bible, we're glad that John has uh, been leading us in this. Uh, it's just something that I was reminded of this morning. I want us all to know this isn't just a, a John Kresge passion. This isn't just a missions committee passion. This is a passion of our uh, entire staff. This is a passion of what we want uh, this local church to know and to understand that God is at move to claim men and women to trust in Christ from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. And I'm excited to continue seeing how God is uh, doing that all throughout uh, his Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of times we think it's only uh, in the New Testament. So I'm excited to have John come and continue that series with us. Before he does that, let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you are a faithful God. You have promised to redeem people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. And we are not deserving of your grace. We are not deserving of your mercy. We deserve your wrath and your condemnation. But, but because you have faithfully promised that you would save us, that you would redeem us, you are still at work in this world. Father, I pray that tonight we would be reminded of, of your promise, not just for us, but how you want to use us to impact the world with the power of the gospel. Father, I pray for John. I pray that you'd just give him the words to share with us clearly the message that you've laid upon his heart. I pray that you would help all of us to, to think about and to pray about how we might be involved with helping others come to know Christ as their Savior. Thank you that as your adopted sons and daughters, you've included in us the commission to go and to tell and to share and to love and to be ambassadors for your grace and for your mercy. Be with us tonight, we pray. Challenge our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you, Chad. All right, now why isn't it on? Why isn't it on? I didn't even close it. Maybe I just got to touch it. Sorry. Anyone who knows me knows I'm technically, technologically challenged in many respects, and people still love me through that. I, uh, if I had my preference, I wouldn't be up here. Um, this particular message that I'm giving, this series, is, at, is a passion that God has given me, but I'd much rather do it in groups of 10, sitting down in a circle, going through these passages of Scripture, giving you a chance to interact back and forth and work it through. But that's not really the way it works, so we'll, we'll get along. I also want to mention, too, um, that we're, we're working through, this is the fifth of, of six messages that I'm going to give on the story of the Bible. And I've suggested many times to you already that I'm convinced that if we really understood what we're working through, it should touch every aspect of our life, nothing with no exceptions. And, and one would be what we sing about, the songs that we sang tonight. Many of those songs uh, were about God's presence in our lives, the glory of the cross, we're never alone. But you know that it's not, Jesus isn't promising his presence in our lives just for our own good, just so that we'll grow in maturity, just so that we'll be able to make it through our trials. No, no. 
He promises, and we're going to get to that key passage, he promises his presence in our lives as we go about his ministry here and around the world. So it all fits in. It all fits in. So the big picture, hard for me to know how to start each of these lessons because I don't know how many of you have heard me before or how many is the first time, but we can't spend a lot of time in intro. Um, we're going to work on the Gospels uh, today, tonight, and just in a quick beginning, a reminder, we're understanding the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with this following definition. You could say it a lot of different ways, and that's no problem. God's revelation to mankind concerning his purpose and plan to glorify his name by redeeming people from every people group in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. I've made it very clear in our earlier messages that we don't tend to get the two colored portions here. If you were, I'm going to say a couple statements later, they're going to be kind of bold to you about colleges and seminaries and pastors and churches. <clears throat> but if you were to interview people you know who love Jesus and ask them, what is the story of the Bible? Most of the time, they would miss these two key components. They would understand, we do understand, that it's about God's redemption plan to reach us through Jesus Christ. We're not working on that in this story. We're working on these two items. The one, to glorify his name. Very critical that we understand that it's not about us. And, if, and I haven't even been majoring on that much in, these, in this series. That's been everywhere as we're talking about the second area. But, you know, everything is about God, about his glory. The word of God is to point us to him and to shine on him. He is the one who deserves glory. It is not us, it is him. Most people don't really get that. We would agree with that. 100% people here would agree with that. But in terms of our living and our thinking and our, and our sharing with others, we tend to think life is, thank you, God, for making me so important to you, right? But the thing that we always miss, hardly anyone would answer the question that's not been exposed to this, <clears throat> is that God is about being glorified and about having his name known about reaching with his salvation people from every people group on the planet. So we must add that component, and that is what we've been keying on the most. Um, we've been going through the Old Testament up till now. Now we're entering the New Testament. But we've been going passage after passage after passage. This is not an expository message on one passage, obviously. It's an effort to help us to see the whole picture and how we fit in, how every passage of Scripture fits in, how all of ministry fits in, etc. So, God's revelation to mankind concerning his purpose and plan to glorify himself by redeeming people from every people group on the planet through Jesus Christ. I stated this the first lesson back in April, um, and I just stated it now. I'm convinced that most of our colleges and most of our seminaries and most of our pastors and churches don't really get this message, don't get the story. They don't recognize that the church and the individual is all about pointing upward to God and outward, not just in our local communities, but to reach all peoples so that he would be glorified and worshipped by all peoples. I'm going to share an amusing story just to help you understand this. And this is not critical. Um, a beloved pastor of mine who go unnamed from here, <clears throat> 20-some years ago, 
wrote a letter to me, typed a letter to me, in a typewriter. You kids know what a typewriter is? I still have it. It's so precious to me. And it was a follow-up to the time that I presented something like this, though I didn't get it at the time in the 90s, a lesson or two on a Wednesday night prayer meeting on, I think, something like missions in the Old Testament. So I highlighted some of these verses that I think probably I've shared uh, with you in the last uh, in the last few messages on it. <clears throat> and I think my emphasis, my thesis was, see, missions isn't just in the New Testament, it's also in the Old Testament. Well, he just took me to task for that. He wrote a page and a half letter showing telling I was wrong, and actually he, he, he uh, invited me or challenged me to a pistolist duel in Parenton to talk about it. Okay, that's Parenton's where I live. And uh, I never took him up on that, and I don't think... It sounds as bad as, as bad as it sounds. He was talking about missions, primarily our mandate to go door to door, our mandate to go out and talk about the gospel with people, although I'm not sure there wasn't some of that in the Old Testament. No question, when Jesus came, crashing into history, that things changed in the New Testament. But bottom line, my beloved pastor, I don't believe God, and I didn't hear it from the pulpit growing up here. Okay, Now, missions, we heard about missions, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? And some of those key passages. But this story of the Bible. After our introductory uh, lesson, I spent three weeks on the Old Testament, starting with Exodus. You remember how God came to Moses and said, I'm going to use you to bring uh, Israel out of Egypt. I'm making a nation of them. And, uh, you know, have you ever thought about what God could have done? Why didn't he just do one thing and bring them out? Why did he have to have ten plagues and other miracles, all these things? We saw how clearly it was so that Pharaoh, so that Egypt, so the nations would what? Know that I am God and that there is no other. He wasn't just concerned about Israel. He was concerned about Egypt. He was concerned about all nations, even in the Exodus. You remember I shared briefly the three examples of Moses and Joshua pleading with God, even arguing with God when God is threatening to wipe out his people because of their utter disobedience. And Moses and Joshua say three different times that I, that I know of, you can't do that, Lord. Because if you wipe out everyone right now, what will Egypt think? What will the nations think about you? What will that do to your name? And they understood. So they understood that it's all about God. And so well, and, and so God relented of that, it says. And later on, he does wipe them out and send them in exile. And, and we saw, as we went from there to the prophets, we jumped ahead and shared about 25 passages from Isaiah to the end of the Old Testament, showing how, how the prophets understood and continually talked about God's desire to see his name known among all people and using the people of Israel to see that happen all the way through there. And then we parked on one uh, chapter, Ezekiel 36, probably my favorite in this whole story, how God says to the land of Israel, mountains and land, first 15 verses and the rest of the chapters to the people of Israel, I'm going to bring the people back. Not because they deserve it. They don't deserve it one bit. They have profaned my name here and they profaned my name when I sent them into exile. But I'm going to bring them back for one reason. What's that reason? God says, for my sake. For my name, because I want the peoples of the world, the nations of the world, to know who I am and that I will fulfill my promise 
Not for your sake, Israel, but for my sake, it did that. And so then last time, we covered uh, uh, the, the kings, some aspects of the kings, especially Solomon. Do you remember at the temple, even his prayer of dedication where Solomon prayed for the foreigner in this temple that he built for God, this magnificent temple, and he prayed that God would hear the foreigner who comes to this temple and prays and works, and works through. And he says, all nations... This temple is for all peoples, not just for Israel. We don't think of that. Oh, Israel was just, the temple was just for Israel. No, it was for the Gentiles too. A separate place for them to be reached. And then we know the impact, the influence that King Solomon, with the wisdom that God gave him and the wealth and the riches, the impact that he could have had. It says in chapter 10 of 1 Kings, all the kings of the earth sent their representatives to Solomon to hear about his incredible wisdom and how God did that. And we saw the example of how Queen of Sheba did that very thing. And she breaks out in praise. She doesn't know God, breaks out in praise. Your God must be awesome for what he's done to you. So we, we looked all the way through the Old Testament. And I think that even as, as Chad mentioned in your prayer or talking, I, I don't remember which, we understand this is more true in the New Testament, right? But the Old Testament, God is concerned about the nations in the Old Testament. Yes, very definitely. And if you don't understand, you don't get the story of the Bible. It starts in Genesis. Remember, Genesis 12, 12, the beginning of the story where God goes to Abraham and he promises some incredible things. Great nation, great name. The nations that bless you will be blessed, etc. And then that final little promise. And he says, and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. What does that mean? Well, he repeats that same promise to Abraham twice more and then to uh, Isaac and Jacob. You and your offspring will be a blessing to all peoples on the earth. Ultimately, we know the final answer to that is Jesus, the final offspring, right? But, oh, no, 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 no. All the way through the Old Testament, God meant to be known, not just by Israel or with Israel or in Israel, but he wanted to be honored and worshipped from all peoples of the world. And that's his plan, that's his purpose, and he is about doing it. He's working on it, and he's using his people to do that very thing. So how does the New Testament fit into the story? Is this story continue? Of course it does. We're going to take a look at the Gospels, as I mentioned. And I think we need to cover it still because to understand even Jesus was sent, not just to reach Israel so that they might reach others. I want to show us some things. I want to go through quickly different passages of Scripture. I'm only going to have you turn once in your Bibles because the rest because of time. Um, but why do we need to cover the New Testament? Because it's the key part of the story also, and I want you to see it. I want you to see it. For me, it worked to begin to see that it's everywhere. It's not just in Genesis. It's not just in Matthew. It's all the way through. This is God's very heart, and I want you to grasp it. I want you to understand. I want, you to, I want this to change your life so that you order your life around God receiving worship and glory from you and from all peoples. So our job is to keep that march going. I'm taking a little longer than I meant to here. Let's dig in. Well, first, a quick, quick questions that we're going to try to pursue a little bit tonight. Did Jesus just work with Israel during his three years of ministry? No. How did he pray? What did he pray about? What did he preach about? Where did Jesus travel? To whom did he preach the gospel? We're just going to ask, we're just going to look at some passages that answer some of those questions. <clears throat> but first, in Old Testament... Uh, verse that is quoted in the New Testament, Isaiah 49.6. I think we shared this two times ago already. Um, in one of the servant psalms, 
God is speaking to his servant, and ultimately we know that's Messiah coming um, in prophecy, and he's talking about how his servant is going to restore the tribes of Israel. He's going to bring back the tribes of Jacob and the people of Israel to the land, restore them spiritually, this servant to come. But then in Isaiah 49.6, God says this, but it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. That's important. I want that done, but that's not the end all and that's too small of a task. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. This is in Isaiah. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation, where? To the ends of the earth. This very quote from Isaiah 49 is used by Simeon, you remember? The godly man, who, old man who, who is, comes to the temple and their baby Jesus is brought, the Messiah, and he knows this is the Messiah. God has revealed this to him. And he quotes from that and says, ah, he's here, the Messiah, the one who will be a light to the Gentiles. So he quotes this very uh, passage. Paul, with Barnabas in the first missionary journey in Acts 13, says the same thing about himself and themselves and those to follow. We have been called. So he applies it there. We've been called to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Okay, New Testament for real. Jesus, we have two great passages of Scripture on Jesus praying. And I just want to point them out to you. Okay, you all know this one, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's all about God. May you be praised. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth. In Israel? <clears throat> With the church? No, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. First part says, or Jesus now is, 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 is praying to the Father. And you know he's just days away from giving his life for Israel, but for the ends of the earth, right? For you and I. Father, Jesus says, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. This sounds, I can't go into this at all. It sounds pretty bold or cocky. Glorify, we deserve praise, right? And that's exactly right because they do. Glorify your son, says the son, that, you, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, speaking of himself, you granted me authority over all people. Who? All people. That he might give eternal life to all those you have given me. I have brought you glory where? On earth. By completing the, word, the, the, the work you gave me to do. Following, later in that prayer, he prays for a while for his own disciples. That God would work in their lives for unity and for power, for effectiveness. And then, in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, Father, I have sent them into the world. The disciples, the apostles. My prayer, though, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us, right? And that's all from, from the first century till now who would believe in me through their message. 
May they, verse 21, also be in us. He's really pushing, praying, crying out to the Father for unity in the, in the body so that the world, why? Why? May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the world may believe. Verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity <clears throat> to let the world know, let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus performs many miracles, as we know, probably hundreds, not hundreds maybe in, in the Gospels, but maybe thousands, right, in his three years ministry. Uh, one such healing is the centurion's servant. This was in Capernaum, in the land of Israel, Matthew 8, 5 to 12. A centurion comes to Jesus. Centurion is a Roman military officer, over 100 soldiers. He is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman. <clears throat> and so he comes to Jesus and says, my servant is near death. He's in terrible shape. I need you to come and heal him, or I need you to heal him. Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. And he says, oh, no, I'm a man under authority, and I have people, men under my authority. When I say to them, go someplace, they go. When I say, do this, they do it. Just say the word, Jesus. You don't have to come to my house. I'm not even worthy to have you come to my house. Say the word. And he'll be healed. And this is, the, this is what Jesus says. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And he said, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Okay? He's been ministering in Israel. But he finds this Roman centurion who believes and knows. I've not found anyone in Israel with such. I say to you, verse 11, that many will come. Many who? Many Gentiles. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This harkens forward, doesn't it, to Revelation 7, 9, when, when the east and west and north and south, people are coming from all peoples to worship the Father, <clears throat> to worship the Lamb. Okay, you can go on now. We're stuck. I mean, the internet's down. Yes, I am. Ugh. It doesn't want to move. That's not good. Let's see if I can get out. It won't do anything. Well, I was always afraid this might happen. <clears throat> if you want to play with it, you can. Um, I'm going to move on, though. I have some notes that are not uh, very easy for me to see. So now you're going to laugh at me because just in case, now I've got to look at it close. Uh, let's go to Mark 5, Jesus performing miracles again. We know the story of the demoniac, right? Is it going? What I do? What you do? Thank you. Gentile region. This is uh, the Decapolis region. I'm going to show you a map here soon. Thank you so much, Brad, uh, Chad. Jesus, uh, this uh, demoniac comes to Jesus. Actually, he doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus goes to him, right? And he's a mess. He's, he's actually possessed by a legion of demons, right? And Jesus addresses the demons. He casts them out. They beg to be sent into the pigs. They're sent into the pigs, and they run into the sea, and they're all drowned. And this man now is calm in his right mind clothed and well-dressed, and his mind's with him. But Jesus is getting ready to leave, and this demoniac says, this, this, 
This healed man says, I want to go with you. You can't leave me. And Jesus says to the healed man, no, go home. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus is not just concerned about Israel. He's concerned about the peoples, and in this case, the Gentiles in the Decapolis region. So, it says, the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Decapolis. I don't, you can't read most of this map, but I'm going to point the Decapolis, right here it says that, it's ten, they're called the freed cities, the ten cities, Deca, ten, Polis, city, the ten cities from here up to here, okay? So it says he goes throughout the Decapolis telling people what Jesus has done for him. That is not, that's Gentile territory where Jesus is. Now I want you to turn, if you would, uh, to Mark 7. We're just going to look at a couple of verses there to get context. Um, so as you're doing that, I'm going to back up and show you that Jesus, right up here is Galilee. Can you see that area? This point of working back there? Okay. So we have Galilee region. Well, Jesus has been ministering there, and he's in trouble. Okay? He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching, and the religious leaders have had enough, and he's got a death warrant on him, right? So he leaves Galilee. He leaves Israel and heads up to Tyre. This is Gentile region. This is not Israel. And later on, we're going to read, it goes up to Sidon and it comes around here to the top of the Decapolis, back to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and he spent some time there. That's not even Israel, okay? He's now in Gentile regions. I just wanted to point that out. So here he is. Um, we have in Mark uh, 7, 24, Jesus left that place, meaning Galilee, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And here, uh, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, comes to him and says, my daughter, my daughter is demon-possessed. You need to come and heal, cast the demon out. And Jesus shows compassion, and they have very interesting interaction. And then he says in verse 29, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So he does what he did with the centurion, right? He just casts the demon out from afar. And she goes home, and sure enough, 31, then Jesus left, as I showed you the map, the vicinity of Tyre. He went farther north to Sidon and then around to the Sea of Galilee and spent some time in the Decapolis. And so there he healed a deaf and mute man in the region of the Decapolis. And uh, same thing, we're talking likely a Gentile. We're talking Gentile regions here, not Israel. And then Mark 8, 1, in the same region, you see what Jesus does. He spends... Three days teaching this crowd that's probably almost all Gentiles, at least mostly Gentiles. Three days teaching them. He said to his disciples, they're hungry. we got to feed them. So the feeding of the 4,000 is, as we know well, is in the Gentile region of the Decapolis. So I wanted to show you that. We will move on. Uh, so here's the map again. Uh, be just before we come now to the next one. So we have the Decapolis here. That's Gentile region. This is Galilee. Judah's down here, Jerusalem. To go to Galilee from Judea, where do they got to pass? Louder? Samaria, right up here. Most good Jews, we understand it, to get to Galilee from Judea, 
would hike across, get across somehow the Jordan River and come back, skirt Samaria, because Samaria were half-breeds, right? They were half-Jew and half-Gentiles. The Jews could not associate with the, with, the, with the Samaritan. But we have here Jesus going right through. He doesn't go around. He goes through this non-Jewish region. And we know the story in John 4, 42 verses of it, where John interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well. He asks for water, and then they interact, and he says, if you had asked me for water, I would have given you living water so that you'd never thirst again. And she's intrigued by that, but then he starts explaining to her who she is, right? Describing, and he's, whoa, what's the, you know, this, this, this sin that you're pointing out, this lifestyle that whatever um, was hard for her. So she kind of changed the subject. She says, you know, my people worship on this mountain. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. Where are we supposed to worship? And you remember the very well-known uh, statement. Jesus says, there's a time coming when you won't worship on the mountain or in Jerusalem, but the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And so she's intrigued by all this, and then I love this next thing. And this is, this is just part of the story of the Bible, but I can't, I can't pass this up. <clears throat> the woman says to Jesus, there's a time coming, I can't wait, when the Messiah is going to come. So she's looking for the Messiah. She's not a Jew. Right? But she understands the Messiah is coming. When he comes, she says, he will explain all this to us. Right? And Jesus replies with two words in the Greek. Ego eimi. I am. Jesus says, I am. The Messiah you're looking for, he says, I am. And it harkens back, again, to the Old Testament, to Moses, when God talks to Moses, and Moses says, who do I tell Israel? Who do I tell the people of Israel when I'm going to take them out? Who you are? And he says, I am who I am, right? I am all you'll ever need. And he reveals himself to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, as I am. She gives testimony then. She goes home and gives testimony to her people, and people follow Christ. People, well, people believe. And then it goes on at the end of this passage, and it says that Jesus stayed with them for two more days. What did he do? I'm sure he taught. I'm sure he performed miracles. I'm sure he ministered among these Samaritans who were untouchable by the Jews. And this was wrong. The disciples following him, you can't do this. But he showed them by example, yes, I'm concerned about the Samaritans too. And it says near the end of that, many more followers came to Jesus. Uh, get out, what did Jesus teach this is not a quote from Jesus, but this is Matthew in, in chapter 12. He's quoting from another servant psalm, Isaiah 42. And this is in the context of Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue and under threat of death, okay? The religious leaders are upset with him. And Matthew comments and he says here, and he quotes Isaiah 42. Here is my servant. Speaking of the Father, speaking about the Son, the Messiah to come. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will come and proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name... The nations will put their hope. This coming Messiah, this is the one whom God is going to do the work in. He is going to, Jesus is going to reach the nations. Did you need something? 
I'm getting low? Well, let's hurry. What was it? I think we're all right. Mark 11. Mark 11, 17. Jesus, after clearing the temple, is it not written? This is a quote, again, from Isaiah. He clears the temple of the, the uh, business that's going on there, the defamation, the profanation of the temple. He says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? The temple was not just for Israel. It was for all nations. Luke 24, this is right before Jesus is ascended. After his resurrection, he's met with some of his disciples. He, meets, he, he just shows up in front of them. They eat a breakfast together. And he begins to explain to them the scriptures pertaining to him, why he had to suffer and die, and how he's the fulfillment of that in his salvation plan. And he says in the end of that, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Where? To all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus' teaching continued. Do any, does anyone know this verse? Have you ever heard of it? Have you ever thought of it this way? This is part of the story of the Bible. I don't want to say this too strongly, but we need to be careful when we witness to people or in children's ministries, we tell them to insert their name for the world. For God so loved Joyce. For God so loved John, for God so loved Preston. That's true, but it's not what it says. For God so loved who? The world, all peoples that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Another clear example of God's desire to reach all peoples. Luke 13, Jesus speaking. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will take, a, they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that he was all about coming, not just to reach Israel, but to get it started to reach the nations. It was all God's plan from beginning to end. I love this verse. I have two up here at once because I don't think... It's very wise to take Matthew 28 without realizing Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus has been um, answering the disciples' question about the temple. When's it going to be destroyed and raised again? What's the sign of the end times? And Jesus, Jesus uh, says here, this gospel, before the end, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to where? To who? To all peoples of the earth. And then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom will reach the whole world as a testimony to every people group in the world. And then the end will come. And we know very well what's generally called the Great Commission passage. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore go and make disciples where? Of all nations. Is this the first time Jesus challenges them with this and understands this? Of course not. This is just the, the flow, the, the, the expected thing. I'm leaving, Jesus says. Now you continue on, reach the nations. Disciple all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. Notice that last statement. I touched on it. We sang about it. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. His promise of his presence and his power in our lives to do what? To reach the nations, to disciple the nations, 
to go, to be a part. I, I just can't overemphasize enough. Matthew 24 says it's going to happen, right? Matthew 28 says, and I, I'm going to use you to do it. That means you. That means me. That means all of us. John 10, 16. Uh, Jesus is discussing the concept of him being the shepherd and the sheep. The sheep are his followers. He calls himself the good shepherd. Early in the chapter, he calls himself, I am the door or the gate to the sheep pen. Talking about his important nature in this whole role. He is the seed. He is the offspring that will be that final great blessing. But then he says in verse 16 of John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. What does he mean by that? We actually had this verse as our key verse in our missions conference a few years ago. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. He's speaking beyond Israel. He's speaking of those beyond. He's concerned all the way through. He's teaching his ministry is to the nations and it's for the nations and Israel gets to be a great part of it. They too, he says, they, the sheep that are not of the sheep pen, will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. John 20, 21, again, at the end of Jesus' ministry and life here on this earth, he says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you into the world. So we have Jesus' marching orders. We're very familiar with them. I'm just going to read through them again real quickly. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you to the nations and from Acts. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. These are well-known passages that give us the impetus, oh, we're commanded to go. But you know what? They're just in the flow of the whole story of the Bible, starting with Genesis when Abraham is called and told he's going to be a blessing to all peoples. When he goes to Moses and said, I want Egypt and I want the nations to know that I am God and there is no other. Solomon, he blesses Solomon, blesses the socks off Solomon so that he, God, would be known by the nations. And so Jesus is predicted, is promised to come, the servant, the Messiah. He's going he's gonna to live among you. He's going to die. He's going to give his life for the nations because I mean to be glorified among all peoples. So if you get the picture, if you look at it, how can it be anything more enjoyable for us to be a part of? How can there be anything more important for us to engage in than to join the very heart of God, which is what? That he be known, that he be worshipped, that he be glorified among the nations. Okay, so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's missions. A few wacko people do that in the local church. The rest of us do something else. You don't get the story, okay? The story of the Bible is that everyone out there, myself, all God's people have been called and have invite, been invited and have been promised God's presence, Jesus' presence through it all, to join with him to see his name known everywhere amongst all people. I can't overemphasize that. That's, that's the story of the Bible. And I appreciate what Chad said. We all understand that and agree with that as leadership. It's, it's, it's hard to live it. Um, 
It's easy to get stuck on our own concerns, our own desires, and that kind of thing. So I'm just going to close with a quick, another application, a reminder three times ago, we've been asking the question, so what? What does it matter in our lives? How should this affect me? How should this affect you? And uh, three times ago, we talked about trials and difficulties and sufferings that we face, persecution that takes place among a little here, but uh, so many of our brothers and sisters. How do we face these trials? I submit to you that understanding this story of the Bible helps us through these trials and helps us to recognize that God is with us and that he is the one we serve. We, uh, then the next time, we try to apply this story of the Bible to our prayer lives, both corporately, when we come together. What do we pray about? How do we pray? What's our desire as we go to God? And as individuals, in our own prayer closets, or at home with our families, how do we pray? How should this affect how we pray? And then last time, we talked about how should it impact our ministry at church? What is the mission of the church? What should your involvement be in this church and why? How does this story of the Bible um, challenge you to be unified in this body and to all grow together so we can see God's name glorified here in the St. John's community and the greater community here, but to see his name known among the Korah people, among the Mindo people, among the people where Preston and Stephanie will be going, and we don't know that yet. Oh, that God would be glorified among the nations, each tribe, each people, and we can be a part of that. I just want to finish with a humble attempt to talk about how should this affect our families? How should this affect your family? How should this look? One way to approach this is this whole list I have here, which is one of hundreds. Parents, grandparents, we could say children, both young and adult children, in front of your parents and grandparents who may not know Jesus. How, does, how do the decisions in my life impact your children or your grandparents, the decisions you make? How should your decisions be challenged or directed by the story of the Bible? Church life, we talked about that. Evangelism, reaching those around you. How do you do that? Is, is it the goal to see God praise through that? And do you want to see your children see that? To see glory go to our Father? Finances. How do you spend... I, I, I considered just doing something on finances. Uh, might be too hard. How do you spend your money? How do your children see you spend your money? How do your grandchildren see you spend your money? Have you ever thought of that? Does it look to them like it's all about you? Or it's about God? Um, prayer, we talked about. How about your free time? How do you use your free time? How should that impact your family members for, for, the, for, for Christ and for his reach? Uh, trials, we talked about that. Work, work at home, work away from home, and how you worship. Just quickly, our marriages. Husbands, how should this impact your marriage and your relationship with your wife? Let, let me back up. I have not arrived here even close in any of these areas. I'm only dabbling in what this should be, you know, how this should look, and I fail miserably. And, and so don't look at me and say, oh, John has it together. Not even close, not even close. But how should, how should my wife, how should your wife see you lead in the marriage? Is it about you? 
would she say, would she think basically he's for himself? Or he's seeking to draw his wife to him for Jesus, for his glory. And how are you influencing your wife to be a part of God's story? Wives, would your husband say you're basically about yourself? Or would, she see, would he see in you, wow, she loves Jesus and she's seeking to worship him and she's pushing us, myself and our family into this story of the Bible. Um, our, with our children, how are we impacting our children? How are you training them? What is your goal? I, I'm going I'm to say this quickly. I think I have time. We had missionaries come. We still support them. Again, unnamed here. Back in the 90s, some of you might remember this. He spoke at a Sunday school class, and he'd been on, uh, on the field for four years, just came home on furlough. And he shared with us, he said, I see a disturbing trend. He said, I, uh, I, uh, I see in the greater culture and in the church culture a growing tendency to worship our families, a growing tendency to put all our marbles into our children, a growing tendency to elevate our kids and our family above everything else. And he said, he, th he said that's a problem. And I, that has always stuck with me, and I think that's something we need to be careful of, right? Are our children the center of the universe? We can raise them up to think they are, right? Or we can raise them up to realize, no, we're all broken vessels coming together. It's important your activities, kids. important my activities, parents. Grandparents. We're told we can spoil our grandkids, right? Well, I would say to a point, maybe, but what's the purpose? What am, I, what am I doting over my grandchildren for? Is it my goal? Is it my prayer to see them raise up to love Jesus and to become worshipers of him and to be a part of God's reach to the nations? Or am I trying to make them think that they're too important, right, that it's all about them? Just some thoughts uh, to think about. Did this go to sleep or something? Oh, it died. Sweet. It's no problem. I had a couple questions that I want to finish with. Sherry's going to blast me. She said, should I charge it today? No, it's got enough. It's got enough. I'm amazed how fast it went. Sorry, Sherry. So who, are, who am I living for? Ask yourself the question, who are you living for? What are my priorities within the family? And the question I just want to leave you with how would God have me influence my family? How would God have you influence your family towards this story of the Bible, towards greater worship of him and towards reaching all peoples? How would God have my family influence, touch other families that we're a part of? I'd like to leave you with that question. Let's close. Thank you, Father, for allowing that computer to work as long as it did. Thank you for the work that you do in our lives. Thank you for this story. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have of being a part of this story. As we, as we finish up one more lesson, the rest of the New Testament, I pray that you would challenge all of us to recognize that this is key this is key to our understanding of all of Scripture. It's key to everything that we do. I ask you, Lord, to help us to apply this as you would in each of our lives. 
wherever it would be, so that we can grow as world Christians. One who understand, understand what you're doing in the world and want to actively be a part. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.